0: If you are a longtime listener to the Happier at Work podcast, you will have heard me speak previously about my signature Happier at Work program. The program has now moved beyond the pilot phase and it's for organizations who want to maintain a really great culture that they already have. They know that their staff are really, really important and they want to retain staff for as long as possible and drive a sense of better engagement at work. Overall, ultimately, What the program does is create a happier working environment using research-backed methods. What that means is we look at the current state of play, what needs to change, and then we measure the effectiveness of that change during the program and also when the program finishes. The program itself is very practical. And it is designed with coaching as well in order to embed the learning into the organization. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership equity, and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie.
1: If you're going to be spending like more time with your colleagues and things like that than you are with the people like, you know, who birthed you or love you or you're married to or, you know, you gave birth to, like you want to make sure that it's, it's a good place.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so delighted you made the decision to tune in to today's episode. Now, my guest today is Siobhan Kelly. Initially, I thought that we might cover the topic of diversity, equity and inclusion, which is an area of specialism for Siobhan. But actually, when it came to the crunch, we talked about around a lot of topics, including workplace trauma, how to deal with difficult situations at work, how to set clear boundaries uh, how to prevent bad things from happening at work, essentially, or prevent things from going wrong in the first place, how to cope when they do go wrong and also taking personal responsibility in the situations that you find yourself in work as well. So we explore this topic from Siobhan's personal experience. It's really, really interesting. I absolutely loved this chat. I know you are going to love it, too. Please do stick around till the end. I'll do a synopsis of some of the key points and do feel free to get involved in the conversation on social media. I would absolutely love to hear you. You'll find all of my social links on my website, happieratwork.ie, and I'll be sharing it mostly across LinkedIn and Instagram. So do feel free to connect with me there, find me there and feel free to comment. As a reminder as well, if you are listening on Spotify, there is now an option to interact directly with the podcast in the Spotify app. So you can let me know what you thought, ask any questions, share any of your own personal experience there. Welcome, Siobhan, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you as my guest today because I know that we've been talking about this for a while. Uh, We've been connected on LinkedIn, I'd say, for a number of years, but randomly bumped into each other last October at an in-person event, no less. And after chatting for a while, I think we both realised that we know each other. It was like, I think I know you from LinkedIn. I think I know you. So really, really great to be able to have this opportunity to have you on the podcast. Do you want to give people a little bit of your background, how you got into what you're doing today and the the kind of career journey that you've been on to get where you are
1: I think that's probably going to take up the whole podcast
0: (laughs) it hasn't it hasn't been a straight line in in one or two minutes. no 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 it won't even be that long
1: so yeah first of all thanks so much for for having me on um we have spoken about it and I remember that night at the event um because we were kind of like looking at each other side eye uh for quite a while going like I know her but I don't know where I know from which was which was great um, I know for for me um, I've been in recruitment since 2014 and I've worked with like large agencies boutique agencies and then I currently am the founder of mosaic consultancy so that's a recruitment agency but it focuses on diversity equity inclusion and um, attracting like all different types of candidates um, and then I'm also the host of the glass house podcast which is hilarious because this is the first time I've ever been a guest on a podcast and it's making my teeth itchy. (laughs) I'm just like so (laughs) uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, I'm so uncomfortable with it. But how I ended up starting Mosaic was, um, we've spoken about this before, but it was necessity because i lost my job at the start of COVID. Um, I won't bore everybody with the details, but it was It was a shock, you know, I was like this, like really engaged employee. And then all of a sudden I was like going through this process and I it was so bad because I blurred the line of professional and personal so much that I didn't know where I started and the job started, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, So when something negative was happening in the job, it was affecting me as a human, you know, and I was like, this is all personal. So I had to go um, and feel like this is a confessional, but I I went and got a, um, a therapist to try and help me through the process because there was a whole like disciplinary process that I had to go through. And that was really the start of a discovery of like, OK, because I remember saying to him one day, like everything's gone, you know, everything I've worked for. I was 40, not married, no kids. So my career was everything. And he was like, yeah, OK, everything's gone, but everything's gone. So is the stress, the politics, you know all of this Mm -hmm. so this is like your ground zero so I would never have left like a well-paying job to take the risk to start something but then when all of that Mm -hmm. was taken from me it was like you know well now now I can do it now I can create something that like I buy into so
0: yeah now I have the opportunity yeah and I suppose like listening to what you're saying I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who can relate to what you're saying Despite the kind of how things ended, but being in an environment where you feel like you're highly engaged, and then suddenly something happens and things go wrong, because I know, I know certainly for me in my own career history that has happened, where I've been this really highly engaged person, and then a decision is taken, for example, and you know anyone who's listened to the podcast for a while knows a little bit about about the my own career history and and kind of what happened there. Um, but I think there's a lot of people who can who can relate to that. It might be one kind of toxic person or it could be one specific event that happens. But do you want to expand on, on kind of how you felt at that time? And and also, Siobhan, I, I can so relate to what you're saying with your entire identity being wrapped up in your job. Because, again, I think that's so relatable to people and I'm reading so much about this type of stuff and if i may say for people listening they might think that it's this idea of overwork as a way to numb feelings that are happening feelings that are coming up we have a tendency to do that i know i put my hand up i have a tendency to do that as well Yeah, exactly. So, you know, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol or drugs or work or whatever it might be. So there's some other things that I don't really want to mention necessarily (laughs) on the work related podcast. Um, But, you know, these are the things that we do to make ourselves not feel. I was going to say to feel better, but it's really to not feel anything at all or to, to feel that we're being rewarded in some way. So if you're okay with it, would you mind kind of talking us through those feelings and how you dealt with it and how you unraveled your identity from being kind of totally wrapped up in your job, essentially?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's so much there. What I will say to you is is that what I learned from the whole therapy side of it is that there's no external solution, right? To anything that you're going through, um an external validation isn't going to fix it. Now, what I realized was that <laughs> the the bitter pill to swallow was that I had a hand in what had happened because I had taught people how to treat me, yeah, and I mean, I don't think that this, you know, the analogy of the boiled frog, um where it's like, you know, <sighs> I don't even think it's true. I'm sure
0: the frog would jump out of the hut. Yeah, I think it has been busted as a myth. <laughs> yeah, but it will already, just give
1: an idea. Yeah, it yeah. will give you like an idea of it. So it's like if you put a frog in boiling water, it jumps out. OK, so scientifically untrue, but if it will jump out. But if you put it into cold water and then slowly increase the temperature, mm-hmm. the frog boils, right? Yeah. And I think that that's what happens with with people who are in work. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it wasn't that one thing that came to it as a shock like it did obviously come as a shock it was like a punch in the throat but <sighs> what what it was was that I ignored the warning signs all the way through right and I thought well if I could just be better or if I could please more people or if I could take on more work maybe this situation will will improve and it wasn't going to improve because an employee can't change the culture right that has to come from from the top, so I was like pushing a rock up a mountain, really. And the reason that I say that I, I believe like some of that was my own fault, or I had a hand in it, was that I should have called out stuff much earlier. And um, but what I'd done is I'd given people like almost free reign to treat me. Oh, you know, Siobhan'll be grand with that, or she won't mind that, or she'll say yes to that. Um, and and that was a process that it took me a long time to. I'm mean, like with, with Billy Brogan, the therapist it took me a long time to accept that I had almost created this reality, yeah. you know, for myself. Um, I do agree with you though, in what you said, that like, you know, you can hide yourself and things, and or these things make you numb. I hid myself from work mm. um, in the sense of like not wanting to deal w- with other things outside it. So it's like, I'm just really busy or I'm this or I'm mm. that. And um, I'd say like I was on the phone to my mom, I tell her I'm busy every day or I'm too yeah. busy. And mm. it was like, I was I wasn't busy, I was manic. Yeah. And I didn't recognize that like I was on like one of the higher stages of burnout, you know, because I would go in earlier and I would leave later, mm. and I still wouldn't get as much stuff done, like my pro- productivity was lower. Um so I suppose what I found and for people listening is that like there's certain things that you have to look like now what I do is I do a career stock take
2: mm.
1: um of what's working for me and what's not and what I need to cut out. And sometimes that's like people, behaviors, tasks, you know, um, and and that seemed to help me because I think that sometimes when you go into a job um, the first six months you're trying to impress, right? You want to pass your probation and you want to do this and then you want something else. So you want the promotion. And if you think at all these events that we go to, the first question that people ask you is like, what do you do?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so when I lost my job, I didn't just lose a paycheck. I lost like a sense of self, a community, mm-hmm. um, routine, uh, value, and and I had to like strip all that back to nothing. So without the job, without the money, I thought I was going to lose my apartment. I had to like get in contact with Mabs. like everything that I had, my independence was completely tied to it. So Mm. once, when all that was gone and I was like left with nothing, I realized that I still had intrinsic value Mm. without all the trappings. And then that was better for me than building Mosaic because I could build it already being at, you know, 100% value, a flawed human being for sure,
2: Mm.
1: but still the same worth as if I was on like 100K a year.
0: Mm. I totally i totally get that i want to come back to this idea of being busy or being manic because i know like i think as a society we perceive busyness as a badge of honor and people often say they're so busy and just from what you're saying it kind of got me thinking as busyness not necessarily as a badge of honor but busyness as a way of hiding exactly like you're saying you don't want to be dealing with the stuff that's going on outside of work so you kind of bury yourself in what it is that you're doing and i know certainly i've been guilty in the past of saying to people that I'm too busy to meet up or I have things planned out so much in advance that if someone wants to meet up with me it's kind of like I can't meet up with you for a month you know because I have everything planned which within is it, each of its life which is crazy exactly crazy. And, and may I say that life in Tenerife is very different it's all mm-hmm. quite last minute it's all quite like I don't have plans and uh, recording amazing. this on a Friday and <laughs> we don't, I don't have plans going into the weekend you know so it's actually really nice it's much more of a, a laid-back atmosphere but this idea of of kind of busy to manic levels of being busy and hopefully someone who's listening today will kind of that might resonate with them that if you're like why are you so busy and are you choosing to be busy as well and actually now that I'm saying it out loud it reminds me of a a brilliant uh, I think it was a TED talk by Dory Clark and I will put a link to that in the show notes and um, if you're not into show notes you can certainly have a look on TED or on on YouTube for Dory Clark's TEDx talk about busyness and why are we so busy? Because oftentimes we choose to be busy. That's why we're so busy. Um, Absolutely. And I love what you're kind of talking about is that you ignored the warning signs and it's a bitter pill to swallow that you have to accept responsibility of the role that you played in getting to where you are. Um, by pleasing people, by taking on more work than you should have, because you're trying to keep other people happy, essentially. Yeah.
1: And you're operating in fear and you're operating out of panic, you know, so you're not operating from a perspective of like worthiness. Mm. You know, it's like trying to prove your worth, or like, yeah. you know, I'm so busy that I, but I, you know, I'm really important. I can take on this project. I remember I was asked to go and collect an award on behalf of somebody, and I was really honored to go and do it. But it was like, in hindsight, I was the only person who didn't have a life outside of work who could give up their Friday evening. Whereas I was looking at it like, oh, we're a team or we're a family or we're this or we're that. And it's like, no, I just, I just didn't have a life outside of those walls. And, and the only person who is responsible for that. Was, was me, you mm. know, and I, I use the busyness. I mean, and I think a lot of people do it as a, a badge of honour. Mm. Look how important
0: I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. look, you
1: know, how integral I am to this organisation.
0: Yeah. If I wasn't here, the whole place would fall apart. And it won't. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. the times you where, know? I mean, that shouldn't be the case anyway. We should be part of a team and we play mm-hmm. a vital role within that team. But we should... Especially if we're a leader, we should be able to walk away from that situation, and things can kind of run themselves, essentially. Because otherwise, we're we're just a, a, what's, I was going to say roadblock. Roadblock is not the right word. Um, uh, we're like basically the blocker, the, mm-hmm. the creating a backlog because things have to come through us in order, in order to actually and it's happen. Not,
1: yeah, it's not like an environment of empowerment. So you're mm-hmm. not like hiring a team who would be. Better than you or have different skill sets, or mm. you know the kind of way. Yeah, um, and that's also like management. That's not necessarily leader. I would say that's like more management by <clears throat> making themselves important that nobody can do my job. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I need to check your emails, or I need to do this. So yeah, I mean, you should be able to. You should one hundred percent be able to walk away from it. Um, and then also, what I've learned, I've said that a lot, like <laughs> over the last three years. But what I have learned is that you know your job is something that you do it's not who you are you know and it's a a business transaction so like if you're an employee you have a a certain skill set like a special (laughs) skill set
0: I can hear that that voice right now I know (laughs) know.
1: and you sound so much better than me but you have a special skill set and you're selling your time and your skills to an employer who's going to give you hopefully like you know, a good salary and a psychologically safe place to work um, and, and that's it. But you're, you're only selling 37 and a half or 40 hours of your, your, you know, your life. Like the rest of it is with your family, your real life, your real job starts when you leave, which I learned the hard way.
0: That- kind of brings us nicely into talking about what you do now and I'm intrigued by this idea of selling time and skills to your employer because from what I understand about what's coming down the line in relation to the future of work it should be time independent so with the movement more towards flexible working more towards reduced working hours that it should be more about the skills that you can bring to a role, the strengths that you have, and again, for anyone who's listened to previous episodes of the podcast, the importance of the values that you bring to the organisation and how good of a fit or a match they are with the with the organisation itself. The, the core values that you have as an individual and how well they they mesh with the organisation but also the, whether or not your needs can be satisfied at work as well. It's, it's really, really important. So I'd love to get your take on this idea of selling your time and your skills to the employer. Do you see a shift more towards the skills and the outcomes that you can deliver?
1: I think it depends on the industry. Mm. Like, you know, if you're in hospitality, it's going to be your time and your skills yeah. um, because you're going to be on site, I think. But in other roles, like say, like more recently with, um, and with an executive assistant, so we had met like at the EA, um, one of the EA networking events, a lot of those roles could be hybrid. So it could be some outcome based, you yeah. know, that you're paid on the outcome. Yeah. And then also it would be, you know, the skills and then the hours put in, cause you're, you need to be there for whatever executive that you're supporting. But if you look at something else, like, you know, graphic design, copywriting, um, any of those kind of things, then then that's outcome based. And that's what you're selling. So you're selling on somebody gives you, you know, you, you have a task to do or whatever it will be, and then you get it done in a certain amount of time, mm. you know, under a certain budget. So uh, I do think it varies and it, it, it depends on the area that you're in. It also depends on the type of contract that you're working, mm. um, you know, like if you're on a fixed term contract, it could be project specific. Um,
0: so yeah, which am more gonna, outcome based?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, which would be which would be outcome based. But mm. I do think though that if you if you look at it, like if you look at a job, say like the most standard job, right? So whether it's um I'm trying to think of like a market marketing or things mm. like that, no matter what your job is, like I think what people have to do is realize that like not to put the employer on a pedestal. There's some great employers, like you know even the companies that I worked for, like my previous recruitment, um consultancy there was fabulous like leaders and everything in that business but often I think that you need to remember that like you're they're not giving you money every month for nothing you yeah. know mm-hmm. it's not like oh like I don't know if I can ask them this you can yeah. you know you can ask anything mm-hmm. once you oh, there's a saying like a closed mouth won't get fed so it's it's very much like how you say it, you know, and how you um, how you approach your employer, whether they have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset or what, whatever that might be. But, um, you know, you're contributing something and your your contribution is valuable. Mm. And I think if you go into it with that, then it's less like the employer up here and then the employee, mm. the lowly employee. Yeah, down yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Especially in today's market, like they need you, you know. Yeah. It's a
0: candidate market. So yeah. Do you see a shift in that balance? Like, I mean, from everything I understand, you know, when I was, I suppose, coming in my first few roles, it was very organization focused. And what can you bring to the organization rather than than what they can do for me? So I've seen a shift over the last 20 years or so since I started working that it's more on equal footing. So here's what we bring to the table and what do you bring to the table? Do you are you seeing more Yeah, of no, a hundred
1: percent. And especially like I know that you were saying like maybe over like the last 10, 15 years it's changed and it's gotten a little bit more equal. But COVID has shifted
0: okay
1: yeah. Everything. Yeah. I don't even like saying that word, but <laughs> um but yeah it has and it's it's redistributed the power. Also the age of the workforce has changed and um I think these like you know when people were talking about quiet quitting and mm. and all of this that's just doing your job yeah you know yeah, that's yeah. just doing what you were paid for everybody's like oh my god I can't believe they quiet quitting like
0: yeah. <laughs> I did do a podcast episode a prior podcast episode on that and like just really questioning there's the view that quiet quitting is essentially setting better boundaries at work and then there's the view that that quiet quitting is something that's been happening all the time, but it's just a new name for people becoming disengaged at work. So there is loads of different things flying around. I think it initially became a trend on TikTok and, you know, when things blow up on TikTok, then they, they become they like really to the trendy. Rest of us. <laughs> they filter through to the rest of us. Exactly. Um, but that is something that we haven't necessarily t- talked about. You know, we, we touch on maybe the concepts of this idea of boundaries and separating between work and life. And and the impression I get from what you're saying that what's happening out there at the moment as well is that there needs to be this better separation, that you're there. You're not just, they're not just paying you for nothing, but you should be able to ask those questions because you're being paid to, to do your job and you need to be able to do your job well. And they need to create that psychologically safe environment in order for you to be able to do that. But also equally, when you leave work, you need to be able to leave work where it is and and not be feeling like you need to be checking emails you
1: know at nine o'clock no Hmm. and I mean the thing is right that the people who get upset when you set a boundary are the ones that overstep it yeah so I was having a conversation with somebody before it came over I was in a zoom meeting with her earlier and she's doing some work and you know when you can tell from somebody's facial expression she was just stressed out of her bracket okay (laughs) i think that's the driven you know and it was like complete overwhelm and i was looking at her and i could recognize the facial expression because i had it and you know when you've that much on and you've lost where you're supposed to be you know the country and what you're supposed to do next i think it's like paralysis by analysis yeah yeah. you've gotten to a stage where there's so much you're completely overwhelmed
0: yeah. And you don't yeah. know where to start oh, to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'd had I had the conversation with her and I was like she, she was saying, I'm going to work late. And, and I was like, absolutely not. Like, get off your laptop, mm-hmm. take your child, go for a walk. Yeah. If you need to reduce your hours next week, do it. Because the last thing that I would need is for her to burn out mm-hmm. um, and all your good ideas. Right. Like, that's why people sing in the shower. All your good ideas and all your creativity comes when you're not actually working yeah um, it's when you're taking a walk it's mm. when your your mind is actually still mm. but she had said then she's waking up in the morning and she's thinking about what she has to do she's going to bed and she's thinking about what she has to do she also has a child you know mm. um, and a family and it's like you know this stuff that we do is important and we get to like you know get people jobs and you know change lives that way but you're no use to anyone, you know, if if you work yourself into an, an early grave, you know, yeah. like, so it's like just take take a step back. And I mm-hmm. think that I remember, like in a previous company, I would get like messages, WhatsApp messages from directors at like 11 p.m., you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and
0: I would respond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, That's another thing that's teaching people how to treat you, isn't it? Then that means that it's acceptable for someone to send you a text at 11 p.m. because you've responded. Now, if someone sends me a message out of hours, I tend not to respond. Um, But yeah, like just an example there yesterday, I felt like I had so much to do. But then when I looked at everything I had, it was all kind of self, self inflicted stuff it wasn't necessarily things that that had a, a client deadline or anything like that and I just thought I'm feeling so overwhelmed I'm feeling so drained I'm feeling so getting to you know getting a bit sick of whatever it was that I was doing so I was like I just need to step away now Hundred percent. and it's such a hard decision to make I think because you feel compelled when you're feeling that way you feel like oh it's just, everything I have is so important and the world is going to stop it If I don't get this stuff done. But actually, when you take a break, and I did take that break, and you know, I don't want to be making everyone jealous, but I went down to the pool for a couple of hours here in Tenerife. And it did me absolutely good. It I had to get that bit in. I got just blown up Option Street, but you got <laughs> do in the pool. Um, But it was so needed. I just needed to relax a bit. And then I came in to I had a call last night, but I came into work today then feeling so much more refreshed and feeling so much more happy. Like if I'm talking about happiness at work, I need to live by those rules as well. But it's not a case of Oh, I, I have everything sorted someone said that to me the other week they're like oh but you're you're there standing on stage you must have everything sorted and I was like absolutely not I'm human too I am susceptible to the fears the range of emotions that everyone has as well I'm not some sort of superhuman that doesn't experience these things hmm. it's a process I I do think i don't
1: know how many times I'm going to name drop this therapist but one of the things he had said to me when I, when I first started seeing him, he was like, so how is Siobhan Kelly? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, have you asked yourself, how are you? And I was like, I don't think I've ever asked myself, how are you? in like 40 years. Like who does, you know? And he gave me this, um, he won't say a trick, but a tool and it's think ink link. Right. So when you have an anxious thought or that worry, like, so this is whether, you know, you're in work or it can be your personal life you have one anxious thought and I'm an overthinker anyway. And then what that does is that causes um, something like a, a physical reaction, right, a manifest in your body. So it could be for some people like a bit of a like an upset stomach or, you know, your shoulders start to go higher and um, like your jaw sets or you cl- clench your teeth. Yeah. And then because your body is physically reacting to that one anxious thought, then when then it's that's another one it's like why am I feeling so tense and yeah. then it goes into the cycle right yeah. that you end up wound up and I nearly swore there and I promised I wouldn't you end up like wound up and you don't even know the actual reason why you're, yeah. you're stressed yeah yeah so <clears throat> he said to me that pink ink link right so you have the thought follow the thought right so yeah. if you're thinking oh I've so much to do and I've this and that like write it down um get everything get those anxious thoughts out of your head from bouncing around and you can do it like in 5 minutes it doesn't mm. have to be a powerpoint presentation so that's the ink part and then you link it you're like well is this actually a worry and it's like no it's no. <laughs> not you know yeah. i can get that done here and yeah. once you have it out of your brain and on a piece of paper mm. it's actually much easier to manage it's like you know if you have a problem and you're worrying about it and over analyzing it and you know going down rabbit holes of like every potential thing that could happen, you know, and then you talk to a friend about it and they give a different perspective and all of a sudden like you're at ease. Yeah, That's what this Pink Ink link can mm-hmm. do because you, you start to become your own best friend. And then when you when you start to solve those problems for yourself, it builds your confidence back up because yeah. you're actually like, I can manage this.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. you feel it much more normal. empowered to be able to kind of to take control. I can totally relate to that. Like when you have a thought, and, but then, like, this is obviously separate to, to your thinking link, but you're kind of like, that leads into other thoughts then that are mm-hmm. connected to that first that thought. Hole. And you yeah. just go into this spiral or the rabbit hole or you, and then you're like, oh my God, my life is so terrible.
1: And then you forget what you were worried about initially because yeah. you, it's it's all so much worse. <laughs> you know? And sometimes the best thing like, I find helps me <laughs> is, like, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. You know, if we look at this situation, like, if, if, like if, if everything was to go against me, what's the worst that could happen? And how would I manage it? And the thing is, you will manage it. And you have, what's the saying, like 100% survival rate of any challenge you ever had. So whether that's the loss of a loved one, loss of a job, any of these different things. You might have battle scars, you know, I have a few, but you get through it and take the lesson yeah. And then for me, it's like, move on, you know?
0: Mm, yeah, I love that. And I think you might have said that to me before. And I, I just love that approach. It's like you've survived 100% of everything that you've experienced yeah. up to now. There's no yeah. reason that you can't kind of survive or you can't get through what it is that you're going through, whatever that might be. Um, yeah. yeah, it's the
1: human spirit. Like, you yeah. know, like people that are, you're amazingly like strong and things like that. And like, that's the thing, like with your whole podcast, you know, life is short. Mm. and. If you're going to be spending like more time with your colleagues and things like that than mm. you are with the people like you know who birthed you or love you or you're married to, or you know you gave birth to, like you want to make sure that it's it's a good place. Yeah. You know you want to make sure that you're valued. you don't have to get on with everyone. like i'm mm. I, I you know, I, I don't believe in fairy tales. And I do think that there's like elements that are challenging and things like that. But I think they should be the exception rather yeah. than yeah than the yeah. rule.
0: You don't have to be best friends with everyone, but I think if, if everyone is treated with a degree of respect at work, then I think that's as much as you can ask for. And you can acknowledge the differences that you have with other people. I know certainly there have been people in, in my work history who I didn't necessarily like, but I still show them respect. And then there was there have been other people who I haven't necessarily shown respect for because I wasn't getting that respect back either. Yeah. So, well, to be fair, it's a two-way street. It you is, know. absolutely. Yeah, very rest... Res- Reciprocal, reciprocal. reciprocal. <laughs> I, nearly, I nearly lost my. Well, words whoever's there. listening
1: knows what knows what we mean. <laughs> Reciprocated. Exactly I
0: mean. Yeah, it's a reciprocal <laughs> situation going on. Um, yeah. But yeah, and 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 for me, I think that's the entire workplace culture is built around that. So if if you if those kind of things happen, you need to call them out and say, listen, we treat each other with respect here. So, you know, I noticed when you said X, Y, Z that you weren't necessarily being respectful or you were being sarcastic or you were being um, uh, passive aggressive or whatever it might've been. But, you know, you need to actually call those things out and and acknowledge that behaviour. Siobhan, any any sort of key lessons that you want to share from overall, from your career history or from that particularly bad one but before I'd love to kind of chat briefly about your 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 kind of your business next
1: um so any kind of like lessons that I've learned I've learned so many to be fair um I think one was like not like you can take the work seriously but like not yourself you know so um I also think that like what I've learned as well is that, you know, when you do research, and I hope that this helps somebody, but I, I really bought into the leaders of like the companies that I would work for. And that will be some of the research that I would do. um, And like, like some of them, like just blew me away, you know, like and I, I don't want to name names, but like, you know, proper like CEOs, COOs, CFOs. But the reality is, is that it doesn't matter what it has, like on the website. <laughs> I'm not going to name names. But it doesn't matter what it has on a company website or whatever. The culture of your company or your, the culture of the company that you're working for is great and the leaders are great. But the culture that you will experience on a day-to-day basis will be from your line manager. Mm. Um, You are not, I remember my uncle saying this to me, you're not sitting beside the CEO on a day-to-day basis. Mm. So as wonderful as they may be if you were working for a manager that is passive aggressive, mm-hmm. that manages from fear and um, who wants to kind of keep you in your place. And, you know, these, these people coming up behind them, are they trying to take my job? Um that's why I would say, like, the lesson that I would give is like in the interview process. I would ask questions. Oh, I'd want to meet your direct line manager first. Um, I'd want to know about, like, you know, the people who have moved on from the team um, Like, did they move to different departments? Was there many promotions within the department? Um, Because I know in certain companies, like somebody nearly has to. I don't like pass away or something before somebody else can be promoted into a a Mm. leadership role, but yeah, if you're if you're sitting beside a line manager or direct manager and they're toxic, it doesn't matter, you know, that these companies are in the great place to work or whatever it might be. Your reality is going to be miserable. Mm. For as long as you're working under that person. So I think mm. that that was a big lesson for me. And I think, I suppose, linked to that is that, and what we mentioned earlier, is that it's, it's not just okay to ask questions of employers.
2: Mm.
1: It's, it should be expected.
2: Yeah.
1: And it shows a level of engagement that if you're going to take that role or move to that team or do any of those things, you want to make sure that it's an environment where you can thrive, where you can contribute, where you can support people, um, and that you get the same in return. So yeah, I would, that will would be my my advice. Don't don't be afraid to ask questions, and check out the <laughs> your direct manager.
0: I love that, and, and I love your description of the culture being experienced through. Your, your direct line manager, rather than through the CEO, that you're not sitting next door to the CEO <laughs> all the time, experiencing this great place to work, whether they're on some list or they've won awards or not, it's it's through your direct line manager. I'd love to get your thoughts on how to stamp out that type of toxic culture. Well, this is my soapbox. <laughs> so
1: the thing is, and this is still keeping it generic, Um. Let's take recruitment, right, for example. Hmm. So, rec- recruitment, I didn't know this, but recruitment is a sales job, just helping yeah. people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, recruitment is a sales job and it's target driven. So, that like
0: that attracts a certain that, type that of person. That breeds that kind of mentality. Competitiveness, yeah. Yeah. you know,
1: my candidate, my client,
0: all of hmm. these different things. So,
1: in that situation, some of the top builders, the top recruiters, the skill set they have doesn't match the skill set of a great leader, right? Because yeah. a great leader really works for the team that they're leading. It's mm-hmm. like, what can I do to get you to the next level, right? Um, and what happens a lot in sales industry or in recruitment is that the top builders are promoted because they try to keep them and they're promoted to management, but they're not managers, right? Not so then managers, they end up, yeah. No and I mean some of it's through no fault of their own, but they also want to bill, you know, they also want to like make money. They want to make sales. Um, so they micromanage or, you know, Mm. they're very direct. It's not like a coaching or a side of desk, um, type of thing. So I think that, and that's not everyone because like, I, I, I do know some good managers and I managed somebody and it was like a completely different relationship, but I would say eight out of 10 times that, you know, someone promoted to a manager in those type of industries, it's done to to retain them, mm-hmm. to give them a title, but it's done without the training. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's that's probably um, one of the one of the big issues is that, like, with mid management companies really need to invest in them. You know, and that's how you have um, like people leaving roles. Like they say that yeah, that people don't leave. A job they leave bad managers, yeah, and it can be really, it can be really true, you know. Um, you could also then have like a group of employees underperforming because the the manager is, you know, passive aggressive or toxic or mm. leading from uh, panic. Yeah. Um. So from I, a place I think of fear, or yeah, 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 or getting found out. Like you know, they have imposter syndrome mm. too, and they've gone from being like you know amazing at the the sales role or the sales side of it, and then it's like,
0: well, you know, one more. Swim in a leadership role because they haven't had any training in relation yeah. to what to do. So I think
1: it's I think it's a lack of that, and I think as well, um there should be, and I I do see it with a lot of companies. Like there's a more of a focus. I think Simon Sinek calls them instead of soft skills, human skills. Mm. You know. Yeah,
0: they've heard (coughs) them being called critical skills as well.
1: Yeah, well, Mm. look, and they all of those things. Yes, soft skills I think just doesn't uh, describe them enough, but I think that should be part of the you know the training and the onboarding, Um, and it's not just. I think companies are starting to realize some of them, and like when you're training, that the person across from you, like when you go in, all right, she's she or he is there to do a job, but they may have also had a sick child in the morning and, you know, they may be a bit disheveled or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it might be, they may have to like change their blouse because they had spit up on it, you know, in the car or they could have a sick parent or whatever it might be. So like you are going to, you know, give your skills and your expertise and you are getting paid for it, but you're also like a human being with a life and challenges. And I think a good leader will see that. Yeah you know, and recognise it and, and try and put you in an environment where, you know, it you're safe to say that you have this stuff going on. So you may not be at, you know, 100 percent. And we're not at 100 percent the whole time anyway.
0: Absolutely. We can't operate on 100 percent
1: the whole time. Once I have seen 100 percent in about 14 years. <laughs>
0: A strong sixty. <laughs> um, and and Shabon, what do you think is the solution to that? Then, like I, I hear these stories anecdotally all the time in relation to, especially in sales, where someone who's a really great salesperson gets promoted because they're such a great salesperson, and then kind of fails as a leader, and they themselves may end up moving on, or they're they're causing a toxic situation with their team or something like that what do you think is the alternative
1: i think probably clear career mapping right Mm -hmm. so that it's not just like you know you're a great salesperson. the only place that you can go is like managing a team of people you could go into brand management or you know you could do um you could do like i think i can't think of the name of them but you know the test to see like where you are on like your eq yeah um your iq and then working with somebody like it, whether it's the HR team or whatever it might be. And if they do want to go into a leadership role, providing them with the training that they need to understand leadership, you mm. know, and and what it is and how it's different from what they've been doing, um, because then like everybody wins and you're setting them up um, to succeed mm. as opposed to, oh, look, this person is going to leave or they're going to get like a higher paid recruitment job somewhere else. Let's stick a director. um. Bat on them yeah. and hope for the best, you know. Yeah. Like it, it but a hundred percent, I think it comes down to training, and then having like clear career directions that they can that they can go in if they don't want to go into a management or a leadership role. I also think that they need to role model these behaviors. Um, like there shouldn't be. I I had worked with somebody who was a manager. Um, I didn't mean to do that big sigh, but I had done a body of work I'll give you an example this is another boundary I broke on myself but um I digress I had written up a document so it was like a a salary guide right and it was for the roles that we were recruiting for the team both temporary and perm and I'd say it took me about four weeks right so this person said to me well why don't you just use last week's or last year's figures I'm like because it's the annual salary guide (laughs) so I have to highlight what's different and what the trends are and all of Mm -hmm. this so I did it sent it to the marketing team. And then I think there was, they came back and said, this is going to be a short, like snippet presented to camera. Who's going to do it? And the person who told me to use the previous years um, figures came back straight away. I'm going to do it. And I didn't say anything, Mm. right? That person's manager knew that I had done it and still allowed that to be done. Yeah. So it's like, in the same way that I gave permission um, to people to cross over on my boundary. So I was also wrong. I should have like clarified it. Yeah. The leadership should have also said, well, Step actually, that yeah. yeah, but because that person was led away with it, then that led to bigger and more infractions, you yeah. know, on, on the type of things they could do. And they were a manager, you
0: yeah. know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's this type of Behaviour and bullying, turning a blind eye. bullying yeah. almost, you know, well, turning a oh. blind eye could be seen as a form of, of bullying as well. Um, but yeah, really interesting. And, and I love this idea of role modelling and, and demonstrating the behaviours and demonstrating the values that are seen as really, really important at work, especially in a particular organisation.
1: Yeah, well, that's how I learned. Well, how I started to get interested in, in leadership and management um, was because of how badly managed I was. Yeah. And I would have a fear of going into work, you know, every every uh, and one of the agencies I worked in, like we would have like a, a group meeting, a team meeting every Tuesday. And every Tuesday morning I woke up thinking I want to call sick. Mm. No, I didn't. I went in, but like I was in abject fear, mm. you know, for this for this meeting to be over. And I just thought, you know, I didn't have necessarily a great role model of a direct manager um at the time but I could see what they were doing and how it was making me feel and I was like made a promise to myself I'm not going to do that and that's actually how when I was like creating Mosaic that it was like (laughs) I'm going to take some of the good bits because there were like really good bits and really great lessons but I'm also gonna there will be none of this like as the company grows you know there'll be no like you know I suppose I'm trying to think of the phrase for it but it's to do with psychological safety but it's like I don't want like a blame culture I want a growth culture that you tried something it didn't work out okay let's chat about it not to humiliate you
0: Mm. but so we can learn from
1: it yeah and and tweak it and and talk about the systems
0: rather than the people like what systems do we need to change in order to make this process better work for us because it's it's usually not human error it's usually a breakdown in the system or the processes that we have in place in order to get the work done
1: look and if you think about it if you look at it from the perspective of like when somebody creates an app you know there's like bug fixes yeah as it goes so it's like don't let perfect get in the way of good so Hmm. for me if somebody has an idea and you want to try something and it doesn't work out work out let's tweak it like you know as much as we can Yeah. yeah because it should be Like with anything that's going to scale or grow, Mm. it should improve. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because then you have like proof of 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 the idea. Because like we tried that, okay, maybe we could streamline it a little a little bit. But you'll never get the those outcomes Mm. if you just do it theoretically. You know, you have to be able to be in a safe space to have an idea. Let's put it into practice. If it doesn't work at all, then it.
2: Mm. And
1: then you know, and then if it does work a little bit, then let's change it. But I think some cultures are like, well, you tried that and that was an abject disaster. You know, where's the return on
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on investment? And it's all your fault. And and it's all your fault. Yeah. And it's like, and you wasted so much time and money doing it. Yeah. yeah, But it actually was It's it's really great. Like, what can we actually learn from this? And it's great that you're able to bring those learnings in and bring the bits that you really liked and left the bits that you didn't like so much and and kind of flip them on their head because I think oftentimes as managers or leaders, the, it's not even the temptation, but you role model the behaviors that you're used to. So you, without maybe even realizing you're behaving in the exact way that you were treated that you didn't like. And I see that happening time and time again. And it's really great that you're able to recognize that and, and really kind of stamp it out. The other thing I wanted to say in relation to managers is that I think we need to let people know in advance what management entails, because oftentimes it comes with a higher paycheck and a better job title and people are enticed by that and and they're enamored by that, you know, the whole thing associated with being a manager and you feel more important kind of going back to your earlier point and you feel so important that you're a manager now but actually the day-to-day role of a manager is not all that glamorous. If you're dealing with people's personal problems and doing the administration and, and all of that kind of stuff.
1: If you're doing it correctly, it's not that glamorous. You know, there shouldn't be any day-to-day basis. Exactly. Um, I, well, I know when I was asked to manage somebody, I initially said no. And there was like, everyone was aghast. Like, what? You know, you know, You've you're turned down this, this opportunity. And doing...
0: yeah. yeah.
1: And I just thought, well, it's, not for me but it's a big responsibility
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know to have somebody come in who had no recruitment experience and get them set up like it's yeah. emotional you know like you're as i as i said earlier i didn't know it was sales but your product has free will if you think of it like that yeah. it's not like you're selling a tv so you know it's it's an emotional job like you know you get them all the way to interview to get the offer and then you know it's like well i decided i want to move to france and you know start a vineyard or some something like that and it's like just but it's like having the emotional regulation to deal with that and then you have to try and teach that to somebody yeah and get the best out of them so that's why I had said no because I was like I don't know if I have the capacity to give it the commitment that it
0: actually requires yeah especially yeah. if someone has zero recruitment experience as well so um yeah. yeah that's that's quite interesting no I
1: did in the end I did end up um managing uh, someone Clara actually she's moved to Australia, just recently, so she's just gotten a new job, so she's like happy out, and she's yeah. gone from like strength to strength. But I remember one day, um she was always afraid to be on the phones, you know, and the in in the rooms and in Dominic, I mean, like, when you look at where she is now, the whole career trajectory is yeah. just insane because yeah, she yeah. had away on the phone yeah. now, you know, like with an audience, she's just so good at it. yeah, and but I used to say she'd be whispering on the phone, like, how, are how are you? you know. And I'm like her, like just speak up. It's kind And she's like, no, I can't. So I would say to her, well, will go into a room and do it till you get comfortable. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be listening back to your calls or anything. You do it till you get comfortable, and then when you're comfortable, and then when she came out, she was golden. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like her, her, her rate or her engagement her, you know emotional intelligence. Yeah. Um, just her capacity to kind of match the right person for the right job, not just on skills but on like who they are. Yeah. Like she she just had not like a, a talent for like she
0: made me look good, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know if it was all my management skills. But, but, but you gave her the space to develop and to grow. So I think that that really helps people, I think helps them along rather than she's sitting there and she's being quiet on the phone and you're listening to her every word and saying, oh, you said this right or he said that wrong. You know, which has happened to me in the past, which is just so bad, demoralising and so demotivating. But you gave her that space to grow, and yeah. it's great to hear about that career trajectory going from like really quiet on the phone to now she can just speak to anyone. Oh yeah, you know? she, now she's like,
1: yeah, yeah. She's, she's a new woman you wouldn't recognise her. Well, I had a manager, and um, the same one who had done that thing with the. Uh, actually, the more I'm talking about this, the more I'm annoyed at myself. But when I would do my calls first. Um, she would type notes on a Word document, you know, like in really large font. Yeah. Like, that's messed up or you should have said this or, you know, say yeah. this. And Like, how can I put that into it? You know, because then you're not listening to what the person on the phone is. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So it's in real time. You're seeing what she was yeah. actually writing. And she's slating you. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, you know, it's not giving you the confidence
1: to get whatever you needed out of the phone call. Yeah. Um. So I think that's
0: another bad way to manage people
1: yeah I would have liked for somebody to do for me what Mm. I could do for Clara so yeah Yeah. yeah, so I think and and do you think
0: this is this is my last question now I hope in relation to management but do you think people recognize when they're a bad manager or do you think that they they, you think that they know that they're a bad manager
1: I think they know I mean like I think I think you pick up on cues you know Mm. I think and I think then that that makes them you know well, I'm not there to be somebody's friend, you know, so I'm a big believer in the story that we tell ourselves. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I learned from like losing my job and the whole professional grief is that you have to kind of like look inward and see what your flaws are, you know, because if you know what your flaws are, then if somebody lies about you or misrepresents you, you can say, okay, well, I know that's not true. You know, it's like it's a little bit of armor against like, you know, the challenges of, of today's world, but that's like just that that self awareness. But I think the story that like people like people will bend themselves into pretzels. Like, well mm. now this is why I'm a really directive manager. Mm. Because like, you know, I can't blur that line. I can't be their friend.
0: That's just who and, I am or, or that's yeah, just and that's how like, I am. That's my that's what a manager is. That's yeah. That's what a manager is. Yeah. I say okay.
1: jump, you say
0: yeah
1: how high. If I yeah. ask for those figures, you have them. And I think that that's what it is. It's to keep other people down. Like if you're confident in your skills and you're confident in who you are as a person or as a leader, you don't have to put people down. You don't have yeah. to humiliate somebody in a meeting. Hmm. You can sit and have. You don't have to send. I mean, one of the other things that used to happen was like you get a message at eight thirty in the morning saying, "Can we have a meeting?" Um, at four. You feel sick. Uh, oh, sick, you're sick. For the and day. then I couldn't. You couldn't work for the day. Yeah. Whereas like if you're if you know you're good mm. and you know you need to address something you would hey nothing to worry about just wanted to have a catch up
0: exactly yeah 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 To have the awareness to actually do that and, and I for me everything that you're talking and we have touched on this on, on the podcast in the past um is relating to trauma that we have and that we bring into work so if you want to inflict that hurt and pain onto other people that's your own trauma that you need to deal with and that you need to address Address the need to keep people down and to put people down and to to manage by fear whatever it might be then think about yourself and how how you're doing that and for anyone it kind of feels like we're just having this conversation between ourselves and nearly forgot about listeners for a second but for anyone who's listening today if you if you know someone who's like that or if you are that person seek out the help but if you know someone who's like that maybe show them a bit of compassion because it's just reflective of the pain that they're feeling inside. 100%
1: like and I definitely like I'm not saying this to to slate all managers but I think sometimes like it's good for you to know like and I wish I'd known it was that like it's a projection it's not you Mm. you know okay sometimes it is you you know but but that's where the self-awareness part comes in but you know and I was always afraid to use the term bully Mm. you know because it's like such a strong word it's
0: it's extreme isn't it we're kind of reluctant to say that but you are but it is
1: repeated acts like yeah. it is like, you know, and, and that's what it is. It's like you you don't just get bullied once. It's something that's like goes on and on and on. And yeah. it's in different ways. And like it affects, you know, there's gaslighting and everything yeah. um, involved in it. And I think that you can treat people with compassion and say, OK, well, you know, and I, I really did. I, I tried with like certain managers, but. I think you also have to protect yourself. Mm. And it's not just about protecting your job because you'll get another one. I can guarantee you that. Like, and it will probably end up a lot better
0: than. And talk to Siobhan if you want to get a new job. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that wasn't actually a hard sell. But yeah, you, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if you believe in yourself and back yourself, you will get something. Yeah.
0: Sometimes it's hard if you've been bullied because I've been in that situation. Your confidence is in the floor. And yeah, it's really hard when I, when I first talked to the therapist,
1: right? Like, so now I have a podcast when I, I, I didn't do public speaking or anything, right? I, Cause my voice would shake, you know, when you can feel your heart, like jumping out your chest. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was a husk of a woman, I would say. Like, I was just like everything I would say, like we have this inner critic. It was like, am I good enough? Can I do this? Can I do that? And all of those questions that we ask ourselves, like if you have this awareness of it's sowing doubt. <laughs> so now when I hear myself saying, can I, it's like, I can.
0: Yes, and okay. I switch you just it, switching you know, it around, love that. Yeah, yeah,
1: you know, like even before I came on, like obviously they were saying, like I ask people questions and I was thinking, what am I going to talk about? And like, obviously I haven't shut up, but um, <laughs> like it's, it's being aware of it. It's like, yeah, well, I will have things to talk about. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. a grown woman, like, you know, well, I, have, I have things to contribute.
0: What I love most about this podcast is that it can go in any direction I don't prepare questions in advance it's very conversational and we just see where the conversation goes what I'm interested in myself but also what I feel like listeners might be interested in as well you know so that's I think the the magic of it. That's that's kind of what makes the secret that's, a, that's what makes it makes it what it is. Um, you know, and then other people have said to me my listening skills and my ability then to kind of pick out some of the key points and then I do a summary at the end so people can can hear the key points but in a kind of synopsis version because I got some lovely feedback the other day, give a shout out to to Dan in New Zealand. And um, he gave me some lovely feedback because it's I have to dig deep sometimes to do that synopsis at the end. And he said, I absolutely love that you do that because his, his head is buzzing with ideas of things he can implement. But just having that synopsis yeah. at the end helps him to be like, oh, OK, yes, yeah, so I'll take this and I'll take this and I'll take this. Um, but it's great to hear. And yeah. for me, it's always important to have something that you can do differently as a result. So for anyone listening you know, if there's anything that sparked something in you, what, think to yourself, what might I do differently as a result of listening to today's episode? Well,
1: look, I mean, hopefully people will will listen to it and um, realize that, like, you know, they're not alone if they are in a difficult situation in yeah. work um, and that it's not a full stop if they're in a bad situation. It's mm. like a comma or it's not an the ellipsis. End. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it's not. There's life after a terrible work situation, a
1: hundred percent. And the thing is, is that like, and what you said, when it affects your confidence, like my biggest fear, and I had a lot of them like over the last three years, some of them, you know, were warranted, some of them like totally unfounded. But my biggest fear was like telling people that I'd lost my job, right? Yeah. Because like there's a whole connotation or maybe I had a, an association with it, you mm-hmm. know, and I was projecting it and,
0: what, what does it say was, about you? That's the perception. Yeah, yeah. That, and I then are people? Well.
1: Yeah. What are, are what are people going to say? This and you know there were so many like different things going around and um I think in the end of it when I did tell like not like huge details but when I went into and said like look I lost my job and I got a therapist and you know I had professional grief and and it was at the time in COVID where people were like actually losing their life and it's like you know what's happening to me isn't really that important but Mm. it was like processing all of these different things and once I made myself vulnerable and said this has happened I'm struggling because there was a hashtag going around at the time as well it was like hashtag business as usual I felt like (laughs) putting my head in a blender because I was like it's not like people are you know this was past the stage of like people making sourdough you know it was like we were really getting nervous then at this stage and I think what I would say and what I would hope people would take away from this is that like, there's like courage and vulnerability.
2: Mm. um,
1: And you don't have to share it with the world, you know, yeah. and or on podcasts like this, but, you know, share with somebody.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and give the advice to yourself that maybe you'd give to a 15 or 14 year old girl or boy who's getting bullied. Just mm. talk to one person mm. because when you talk to one person, they can help put it in perspective for mm. you of like, you know, the situation, the job, um, you know, what to do, HR, can you go to HR? Because Sometimes like HR obviously is for the company. So you've got to be careful.
0: Um, can, I, can I jump in there and say yeah. that I'm in several HR groups and they would argue otherwise. So really? I think it depends on the organisation. Yeah, absolutely. hundred
1: No, no, no. A hundred percent. I mean, look, I know in in our previous company, but it, I would say, look, it, it depends. Everything that we're saying depends on the organisation. <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't want to tire all HR with no, the
1: same no, no, no. And <laughs> I actually had somebody on um, from HR, I think it was from three Ireland. And one of the things that she has on her LinkedIn profile is it's about her team. So, you know, when people yeah. put in their bio, um, yeah. it's like, I am this, you know, like I think are recruiting rock star and something networking ninja or whatever it might be. Right? But yeah. It's normally yeah. about the person's individual LinkedIn profile. But what yeah. was so amazing was that like, she spoke about her team. In it yeah, like that she wow. wouldn't be anywhere and like so those type of leaders so yeah. I'm fully aware that they're you know phenomenal phenomenal people like change in the face of HR but then it's also I would say maybe the advice is read the room look at yeah. your own individual situation and and make a call on that
0: brilliant love
1: that hope I didn't get you kicked out of any <laughs> HR groups
0: I'm here to defend them. I'm here to defend them. Um, But no, I certainly agree because I have been in the situation myself where it felt like HR were kind of more for the company. And I've seen friends in that situation as well where you think HR will be on your side, but actually they're there to essentially protect the interests of the organization. But I've seen so many others that it's not necessarily the case. So I just wanted to bring that to people's attention. (laughs) Um, So Siobhan, um, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way that they can do that?
1: Um, they can, well, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, they're more than welcome, so I can, it's Siobhan Kelly recruits. <clears throat> so I can send that to you Um they can email me. Um I'm trying to think any, any yeah. way, really, I can give you the details. Search
0: Siobhan um, Kelly
1: on I'm, LinkedIn. There might be a, yeah. a lot of them, I'm not so sure. but um, Yeah,
0: Mosaic Consultancy is there. <laughs> you can tell that I'm really bad at this self-promotion. It's like, we'll, we'll put all of this in the in the show notes anyway. Um, and of course, give a shout out to your own podcast.
1: Yeah. So it's the Glass House. And that was I mean, like the reason I named it. And I have to take responsibility for it is that like it, it, the Glass House is where things grow, yeah. you know, and develop. And um, that's that's really what I wanted. And also, like, we didn't go into it like today because maybe it's not relevant, but I'm from like quite a working class family. And my mom was a single parent and I lived in my extended family. And um, when I was growing up, like this is like why I focus on diversity, equity and inclusion, like representation mm. matters, you know. And and if you can, if you see it, you can yeah. become it, you know. Um, so a lot of like my aunties and uncles didn't go to college or university. And when we would see, like I know when I was in school and I was in transition year, I, I wanted to be a writer or, or in acting or whatever. And my, um, what you call it? Career guidance counselor sent me to a hairdresser's <laughs> like, yeah. And even then I got a really bad report because he was saying, I kept looking at myself in the mirror, <laughs> 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 and I was soaking everybody that I, I was there, but I had no interest in it, but that's like, you know, if, if I'm like, if hairdressing was your passion, like my friend is in it, you know, and she's built a brilliant career, but it just wasn't hmm. for me. Um, and with the Glasshouse, I wanted to give accessibility to people um to see these yeah. leaders, like, so say like the HR leader and she does like business transformation in the UK and Ireland, the CEO mm-hmm. of Siemens, um, Siobhan Sweeney, I think you had her on here. She was one of my first guests uh, on diversity, equity and inclusion and, and her role, women in the workplace. And we chat about like what leadership mm-hmm. looks like, you know, and how people can mostly fail yeah. forward. Uh,
0: that it's not it's not a clear line. It's not a clear line necessarily.
1: No. No. It, it actually generally never is, you know?
0: This is it. This is the beauty. And it's only like is it Steve Jobs who said you can only connect the dots when you look backwards? You can't connect the dots looking forwards. So it's only when you look back you see the pattern and the connection between everything. Never heard that yeah, totally. it is I love I yeah. just love that as a concept because we so often try to plan in advance and we try and look forward and say, and I'm gonna do this. So that will lead me to, to that. Um, but actually, if we accept opportunities that come our way, it might lead us in a different path. But it's only when we look back that we can really see the connection between everything. And um, I just think it's so it's so interesting, such an interesting concept. Um, Siobhan, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what does being happier at work mean to you? Um,
1: in a sentence, like, you know, I use like more words than most people. Being happier at work to me. Um, I think it's feeling Mm. safe, um, respected, appreciated, and that you're contributing to something. um, You know, you're part of something that is is bigger than you. Yeah, really. Yeah.
0: I love I love all of that. This, This idea is kind of coming more and more to light for me recently. The idea of being part of something bigger than yourself, like for me, the podcast is a small part of that. That it is, you know, it's 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 kind of becoming a movement. So it's it's great from that perspective to be part of something that's bigger than myself. But as time goes on, I'll be looking to collaborate with way more people in the future because I've done a, few, a little bit of that recently, and it's what lights me up. I love working with other people, you know. So love that, to be part of something bigger. Even
1: your face, your face, for those listening, her whole face just lit up when she was talking about that.
0: (laughs) I was blinded by this grin. Thank you. Thank you. But uh, really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your time today. And I look forward to another conversation with you again in the future.
1: Me too, Ipa. Thank you so much. My first podcast. Um,
0: I appreciate you. That was Siobhan Kelly from Mosaic. And I promised you a really interesting discussion. I hope I did not disappoint. For me, it was really insightful. It was really interesting to hear Siobhan's perspective on her own work experience. So not kind of theoretical, but from her own experience and all of the lessons that she has learned. Siobhan also has her own podcast called Glasshouse. So if you haven't listened to it yet, definitely go and check that out. Now, I'm going to do a summary of some of the key points that we talked about, hopefully that you can pull some things from it, maybe have a think about your own work situation and take action on some of the things that you've learned during today's conversation. But before I do that, I wanted to remind you to get involved in the conversation, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on Instagram, Um, please do interact. I'd love to hear your thoughts, love to hear your own experience at work, anything that you would like to add or any questions that you have coming out of the podcast. And as a reminder, on Spotify, there's now the option to interact directly in the app itself. So click into the individual episode and you can ask questions there. You can leave comments and things like that. So always love to hear from podcast listeners about what's going on or what they've learned or anything they've done differently as a result of listening to the podcast. Now, back to the episode. Siobhan, we really kind of started talking about this idea of boundaries at work and teaching people how to treat you. So what Siobhan necessarily did was people pleasing and operating from a place of fear and she lost her sense of self. So it's really a reminder that if you're working really hard and if that's more to please other people rather than to to please yourself essentially that you're you're operating from this place of fear it could be imposter syndrome which i've talked about a lot on the podcast it could be that you're trying to please other people or impress other people and really just notice whether you're losing that sense of self are you the only person who's doing this are they relying particularly on you and something that I haven't necessarily covered in the podcast, but may in a future episode, is that a lot of the time at work, this additional work tends to fall to those who don't have any dependent relatives. And I suppose that's a kind of a a catch all for those who are looking after elderly parents, as well as those who have children that they need to look after as well. So this has been my own experience. It's it's the experience I hear about anecdotally as well. Uh, we also talked about this concept of busyness. And, you know, sometimes when we're so busy, it's because we want to hide from something else. So, you know, think about what's going on external to work. And is there something that you're being busy because you don't want to deal with that? Are you feeling busy because you want to feel a greater sense of importance or are you trying to numb your feelings in some way? So so think about things like that. Siobhan also talked about regaining your intrinsic value after a traumatic work experience. So I suppose separating the self from the job that you do. And I absolutely loved this quote that she shared that I I just had to pull out from our conversation, which is your job is something you do. It's not who you are. So do remember that if you're getting really wrapped up in how you're approaching work If you're, you know, if you're taking things very personally, one of the things I liked about what she said was this idea that take the work seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. Another thing that we talked about today was the concept of workplace culture. And I suppose I hadn't really heard it expressed in this way, or I certainly haven't expressed it myself in this way. But a really great reminder that workplace culture, even when you have really strong workplace culture, when you have really positive leadership, role models, uh, all of those things in place, but our direct experience of work tends to be through our immediate manager. And there's no forgetting that. And when that person is not in the right role or when they're not doing the right job or or when they don't really enjoy the day-to-day role of being a manager, then maybe they took it for from an ego perspective, maybe they took it from a paycheck perspective. But our experience is through that direct manager so I suppose a couple of things around this so we need to support managers to be able to actively maintain that culture that has been created at work so making sure that they know how to actively manage the culture for those who are experiencing it directly through them and I love that Siobhan shared some advice around checking these things so if when it comes to recruitment how can you check these so um meeting, actually meeting the manager, I think, is, is a really positive step. So who is actually going to be your direct manager? If you can reach out to some former employees and, and ask them what it was like to work there. And then in the interview itself, then asking about promotional opportunities. Is there, you know, what are the kind of opportunities that exist here? And um, we talked we kind of touched on the idea, but I've seen a lot about this and I, I saw that there's been some research released recently on skills-based hiring rather than experience-based hiring, which I think is really interesting. Myself and Siobhan talked about this from the perspective of the future of work and, and what that looks like and outcomes-based productivity, uh, reducing work hours and then how to go about that. But when it comes to matching people with specific roles, it's important to look at what skills they have and not necessarily the number of years of experience they have or the type of company that they worked in. So it's assessing what what's very specific skills that they have. And it's great to see this shift. I think this is there's going to we're going to see so much more of this coming further down the line. Another thing thing and that we've spoken about this multiple times on the podcast previously, is that the skills of the top performers are not necessarily the skills of good leadership. And I love this, the way she described it was just throw them a director badge uh, so we can retain them. So essentially you promote people in order to retain them. And they they just don't really do a very good job at that level that they're at, so that they perform much better in that individual contributor role because they don't necessarily have the support in order to be able to manage and lead people. But um, you know, this tends to be often the case. If you want to retain people, then what can we do? Well, we can promote them. But really having to think about what makes a good leader and whether the person that you're promoting should be in that. And, and going back to the earlier point about um, our experience at work being directly linked to the manager that we have as well. One of the last points then that we touched on was the stories that we tell ourselves. And this was kind of in the context of a bad manager. So a bad manager might tell themselves the story that I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to be your manager. And that kind of excuses that poor behavior. So I thought that's an interesting take. And and maybe bad managers know that they're bad managers. But actually, they feel like they shouldn't have to be your friend at work. And therefore, it's OK to be someone who's a little bit harder on you or something. I just thought that was quite an interesting take and um, would love to know your thoughts on that as well, any experience you have. As always, I would welcome feedback on the podcast. Do feel free to reach out to me directly. You'll find all of my links on happieratwork.org. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie.